our Bibles this evening to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 22. So please would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 22 and beginning to read at verse 23. Matthew chapter 22 verse 23. And the title of the message tonight is Defending Resurrection. Not defending the resurrection in terms of the resurrection of Christ, but resurrection as a thing uh, in general, the dead being raised. So tonight, verse 23. The same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married and having no offspring, he left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like Angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Please keep your Bibles open there. Uh, I I came across a story uh, some time ago in Reader's Digest. It was in the letters page. And a lady by the name of Samantha Davis from the West Midlands wrote in uh, and told this story of an account of something that happened in the shop where she was working. Uh, Apparently, somebody had phoned up and said, can I purchase some frogs for my new pond here? And uh, the, the customer was uh, uh, trying to get some frogs. And the person in the shop said, well, actually, we don't sell frogs. They just sort of turn up and uh, live wherever they want. So they just turn up on their own. And apparently the person on the other end of the phone said, oh, right, I see. Uh, well, is that the same with the fish as well? <laughs> <laughs> well, some people ask daft questions, don't they, because they're daft. But other people ask questions because they're wicked and uh, they're trying to be rebellious against God. And that's what we see here in the account in Matthew chapter 22. You'll notice it opens with the words, the same day. And uh, this is a day on which the Lord Jesus is being quizzed by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Both groups uh, mentioned either side, uh, uh, the Pharisees mentioned either side of this account here. And they are quizzing the Lord Jesus. It's the week before the cross. 
And the Lord Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And, and in the week before, they are quizzing him. And uh, they're trying to find fault in him and undermine his ministry. What's happening here reminds me a little bit, in some ways, of the story in, in the uh, Lord of the Rings by Tolkien where uh, Bilbo is in a battle of conundrums with uh, 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 Gollum, the, the troll who lives in the cave. And Bilbo, the, uh, the uh, what is Bilbo? He's a go- hobbit, thank you, I was going to say goblin. He was uh, trying to get out of the cave and he found this strange creature living in the cave and he would only let him out uh, if he could answer the questions. If he didn't answer the questions, then he would be his captive and even be eaten uh, for, uh, for tea. Uh, and uh, Bill, um, the golem uh, challenges him with some conundrums like this one. Uh, he says, see if you can answer this. Alive without breath, as cold as death, never thirsty, ever drinking, all in mail, never clinking. What is it? Anybody know the answer? Well, the an answer is a fish. A fish, alive without breath, as cold as death, never thirsty, ever drinking, all in mail, never clinking. And the whole thing is a battle of conundrums like that. And for, for Bilbo, it's a matter of life and death. Well, something like that is happening here at this stage in the Gospels leading up to the time when Jesus is going to die. These questions are not trivial as far as Jesus is concerned. They prove he is the Messiah and it's a, a testing moment before he goes to the cross. It's a crucial moment. And the Pharisees have asked Jesus a question in the passage before about taxes to Caesar and Christ had given them a great answer and they had gone away licking their wounds. But uh, after them, that same day, the Sadducees, according to verse 23, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him. Now we need to ask ourselves here this evening, who are the Sadducees? Well, the Sadducees were basically the priestly people, uh, the people in the temple. They descended from, um, the, they came to, to power in the days between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, in, the, in the period in between, um, it was established on the basis of God's prophecies in the book of Ezekiel that the priesthood would follow the line of Zadok. Now, do you remember Zadok way back in the story of Solomon? He was the good priest, and God gave him covenant promises that you know, the priestly line would come from him. So they established the priesthood from the line of Zadok, and that's the root of the name Sadducee. It's also mixed with the word Sadiq, which means righteousness. And that's where you get the double D. And uh, it's saying they're the righteous priests. And uh, they looked something like this. They were dressed differently to the Pharisees who wore the black and wore the, uh, the prayer shawl and that. These would wear the white priestly robes. And the Sadducees are a very important group of people in the Gospels. Let me just tell you a few things about them because they're a group that a lot of people uh, are less familiar with. The Sadducees, according to Acts 23, verse 8, and that's a good verse uh, to note in your notes if you're thinking about studying them. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees 
confess both. So the, the Sadducees are deniers of the resurrection, uh, 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 that there's going to be any resurrection of the dead. They don't believe in life after death. Therefore, they don't believe in judgment. And that's an important thing. When you don't believe in judgment, you can live like you, however you like. And so they did. And uh, they didn't believe there would be a resurrection. They didn't believe man had an, uh, an immortal spirit. They didn't believe in angels. So anything supernatural was all out. In effect, they were the theological liberals of their day. And uh, liberalism is not uh, a, a political party in theological sense. It's a, uh, it means they, they deny uh, anything supernatural um, uh, in scripture. Uh, and these were such... But they lived really like atheists, although they were priests. They only accepted the books of Moses. Now, that's an interesting thing. Uh, they didn't accept the rest of the prophets. The rest of the prophets were laid aside. And really similar to the Samaritans, who only took the first five books of the Bible and then adapted it. Uh, but they took the, the, the first five books of the Bible, the law of Moses, Genesis to Deuteronomy, and they said, that's our Bible. And that's the only bit we're going to recognize. Uh, and interestingly enough, compared to the Pharisees, they didn't accept the oral traditions as well. There were some oral traditions of the law. We'll talk about that one day. It's more complex. Uh, but they didn't accept those. They just went by the first five books of the Bible. They were, according to Josephus, very unfriendly and very unpopular with the people. And that's why at the end of this chapter, uh, this story in verse 33, when uh, Jesus gives them a good licking with his words and puts them on the right track, the people love it because he's put the Sadducees in their place. And he's done it with amazing skill and showing his power in scripture. They were also known to be very cruel judges. We know that from Josephus and we know it from the Mishnah, the Jewish book, the Mishnah uh, as well. And they were very harsh in their judgments. You know, they would use a hammer to swat a fly and uh, they would uh, come down heavily. And this is why we see the judgment of Christ the way we do in the court of the Sadducees and the brutality that he has at their hands before going to the cross. They also understandably were not big on the messianic idea. Now, they couldn't deny it because there would be an uproar from the people, but they didn't really believe in a coming Messiah and a messianic age because that would be uh, only possible if there was a resurrection. Uh, so they didn't believe any of that, really, uh, but they couldn't deny it openly. And that's interesting because you remember when Jesus in the, is in the court before he goes to face Pilate, he says, and you will see the power of God, you'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, quoting Daniel. So you don't believe it, but you're going to see it. It's going to happen. And uh, that's, uh, that's, that's another of their beliefs. And they were basically the people who were the priests, the scribes, who were the people who wrote down uh, the judgments, and they were the majority, but not exclusively, but they were the majority of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. So that's who the Sadducees were, and it's very important to understand them. Uh, now, one of the things about the Sadducees was the Sadducees loved to argue with the Pharisees. As we saw earlier on, they had different beliefs to the Pharisees, and so they would love to argue with them and pose 
conundrums to them. And one of the things that we find them doing here is taking one of their conundrums, which they would have given to the Pharisees to try and answer, because the Pharisees do believe in the resurrection, and they bring it to Jesus to try and undermine him, like they've evidently been somewhat successful with the Pharisees doing it. And it's a conundrum based on uh, the, on the law of Moses. And it says in verse 24, teacher Moses said that if a man dies having no children his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother now this is a a reference to Deuteronomy and chapter 25 and verses 5 to 6 which explains what's called the law of the Leverite marriage You might hear preachers talk about this sometimes, especially if you hear anybody preach on the book of Ruth, because the book of Ruth is all about the Leverite marriage. And the word Leverite means brother-in-law or brother. And it it means that if you have a, a, a brother, when you die, it's his responsibility to take care of your widow and to raise a family in your name so that she gets a share of the inheritance uh, or any future inheritances from other parts of the family, uncles, grandparents, and so on, uh, when you die. And that was the law of Moses. And uh, they noted this, and uh, they said, well, you know, here's a problem. Verse 25 says, Now there were with us seven brothers... And that's interesting. They say there were with us. So this may not be a conundrum that's not entirely fictional. It might be based on the fact that there were seven brothers in the Sadducees. uh, And uh, this was something they pondered after they had all died. But they said there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married. And having no offspring, he left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. And uh, they have this sad situation of of the uh, seven brothers and no children to the woman. Otherwise, if she had had children, she wouldn't have had to keep getting married again and again and again. Now, some people say, well, how is it possible that, you know, out of seven brothers, she never got a single child out of any of them? The answer is simple. They were wicked. They didn't want to give any offspring to this family. Do you remember the, uh, the brother-in-law in the story of Ruth? I can't do it. It'll affect my inheritance. What did he mean by that? If I raise up a, a, an heir uh, in my brother's name, then that means when Uncle Ebenezer dies, instead of the, all the inheritance coming to me, I'm going to have to chop it in half and give half to him. Do you see? And they thought, it's more financially lucrative for me not to raise a child. So it was possible, and it did happen, that there were seven who uh, didn't give children to this dear lady. And then last of all, she died. But here's the riddle they were working with in verse 28. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. 
And their riddle is to uh, try and catch Jesus out because uh, they're saying, you know, she was married to all of them. So when, when the dead are raised, as you believe in the resurrection, when, when the dead are raised, who's she going to be married to? She can't be married to all of them, otherwise she'll be an adulteress. So who is she going to be married to? She was married to them all one by one in this life, but what about in the next life? And they think they've really got a doozy with which they can cancel out the teaching of the resurrection and justify themselves and in turn, in this case especially, turn on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're very keen to try and attack Christ in this way. Now, why are they so keen to attack Jesus? Well, if you think about the story of the Gospels, what has just happened in the last week or so? Two things that rocked the boat for the Sadducees. The first is Jesus cleansed the temple. Remember, they're in charge of the temple. They're the priests. And he, he stopped their money laundering operation. He stopped the, 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 uh, all the, uh, the, the, the sale of the sacrifices and the money that was coming to them. They were earning big bucks. And Jesus turned that all upside down. For a second time. He'd done it earlier at the beginning of his ministry. He did it again. So they were upset against him for that. But they were also upset. Because just a few days before. The Lord Jesus Christ. Had raised from the dead. A man called Lazarus. And that hit home very hard. But they had to say like the Pharisees. Oh it, it can't be true. It can't be true. And this was their attempt to try and justify it. And this is what people do. And I want us to have a look tonight at how Christ defended the resurrection. Because, you know, this is so typical of many people in the battle of the gospel, isn't it? Many people actually think they can try and turn Christianity on its head with one little argument, one, one debate, one issue. Uh, Voltaire said it took 12 men to set up Christianity. It would take only one, meaning himself humbly, to overthrow it. (laughs) And he thought with his clever writings he was going to overthrow Christianity, but of course he couldn't. And that's how many non-Christians think. And they think, if I can come up with some clever thing, then I can dispose of Christianity and I can be free to carry on living as I like. So I want to see tonight how the Lord Jesus defended resurrection, not the resurrection, but resurrection as a thing, and see how he answered them. Because he did three things. First of all, he showed them the root of their problem. Secondly, he gave the reply to the puzzle. And thirdly, he gave a response to their position. Let's have a look at these three things. First of all, he dealt with the root of the problem. In verse 29, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Now, when it all comes down to it, that was the root of their problem. And Jesus hit home and hit hard at the Sadducees, who were the priestly people, who were supposed to be the teachers of the people. And he says, your problem is, you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. And that is the forked answer that Christ gave to this issue. You see, if they knew the scriptures, then they would know 
that the Bible does teach the resurrection. And they would have the answer to that. For instance, it teaches it in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 2. It teaches about the resurrection in the last days. It teaches it in Isaiah 26, 19. In the book of Acts, Paul shows, mentions, uh, shows references in the Psalms all to the resurrection, uh, uh, which are, uh, are tucked away in obscure places in the Psalms. We have stories of resurrection in uh, the story of Elijah and Elisha and so on. So what Jesus said was absolutely true. They didn't know the scriptures. If they knew the scriptures, they wouldn't be debating this very issue. But they didn't know the power of God either. Now what did he mean by that? I think he's talking about the fact that they hadn't been paying attention to what he, God the Son, had been doing for the last three and a half years. Because again, And again and again and again, the Lord Jesus Christ had been raising the dead. He went to a town called Nain one day and he was on his way into the city when a funeral was coming out. The son of an only woman was about to be buried. And he put up his hand and he stopped the funeral, touched the coffin and he raised the boy back to life in that funeral. Wow. The funeral never went ahead because the Lord raised him from the dead. Absolutely amazing. He had been confronted by a man called Jairus who was a synagogue ruler. And the synagogue ruler had said, come and heal my daughter. She's sick and dying. And Jesus had gone. But then on the way, somebody had come and said, don't bother the master anymore. She's already died. Jesus said, don't be unbelieving. Believe. And Jesus went to his house and he raised her from the dead. Jesus had been raising people uh, in other places as well. Last of all, of course, the greatest resurrection was Lazarus, who'd been dead for four days beforehand. And if they had been paying attention to his ministry uh, and watching, they would have seen he had the power of God to raise the dead. And you know what? This is, uh, that was the root of their problem. They didn't know the scriptures nor the power of God. Now I want to say this, dear friends. That's often the root of the problem for many of us too. When it comes down to the issue of what can God do and what God can't do. The issue comes down to we don't know the scriptures or the power of God. (laughs) And it's because we're ignorant of the Bible and we neglect our study of the Bible. You see, when we read the Bible, faith comes through the Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, says uh, the book of Romans. And it would produce faith in us and we would know the truth of it. When we saw the stories and see the power of prayer in action in our lives today, we would know God can do anything. Where you find people who love the Bible, you'll find great faith. That's the truth. And I just wonder if tonight we're talking to people here who are neglecting the scriptures. You know, Charles Spurgeon said to the, not to the the Christians, but to the non-Christians, he said, you know, some of you have got Bibles at home. He said, but there's enough dust on those Bibles to write the word damnation in with your fingertip. Isn't that a cutting truth? We neglect the Bible so we don't have faith. It's sad as well when we have Christians who don't study the Bible and as a result of that they don't have faith too and they're full of doubtful questions. 
We need to be people who really study the word. I came across a wonderful story about a man called Michael Billister who visited Poland during the late 1930s and he gave a Bible to one of the villagers who was there before he left. That villager read the Bible and was converted, converted, became a Christian, put his trust in the Lord Jesus who died on the cross for his sins and was saved. His life was changed. He gave the Bible to another villager who read it and was converted. And he gave the Bible to another person. Do you know, 200 people in that village became Christians as a result of reading the Bible in the 1930s. In the the year 1940, Michael Billister went back to visit that village. And when he got there, he found a church of 200 people. And they, they were so pleased to see him, the man who'd given the first Bible, and they had a special service. And in the service, Michael, who ministered, said, uh, perhaps uh, we could have some Bible verses recited, because they told him, we've been learning the Bible. And, uh, and nobody did anything. And he said, well, perhaps, uh, perhaps you haven't understood. And one of the men stood up and said, well, we have understood. He said, but we're not quite sure. Do you mean verses or chapters? And it turned out that in these 200 people, between them, they had memorized the whole Bible. No wonder God was working. You know, it's God's book, isn't it, the Bible? The power of God is in it. And he uses the power of the Spirit uh, to to bring it alive to our hearts. So as the uh, poet said, Search the scriptures for salvation. Christ the Lord has told us so. Every tongue and every nation should the Holy Bible know. God's message tis of love and life sent to a world of sin and strife. That was the root of their problem. I wonder if that could be the root of our problem as well. We don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. If it is, then let us seek the Lord in the pages of the Bible for a greater understanding of his truth and an understanding of his power. Second thing we see here is the reply to their puzzle that Christ gave. And uh, for those who've come in, this is a a story that is is taking place where Jesus has been given a conundrum by a group of people called the Sadducees dealing with the matter of the resurrection of the dead. And they've tried to undo Jesus with a a tricky question. And uh, the question was about whether out of seven brothers who had married the same girl after each one had died, uh, who would be... The, the, the husband of her in the resurrection. So Christ answers their question in verse 30. It says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. And Christ explains here why their question is a, is a, is a, redundance, is a redundant question. Because in the resurrection there's no marriage. In the resurrection, there's no marriage. Now, he says there's no marrying or giving in marriage. That Marrying, obviously, is the husband. The giving in the marriage is the father's. But he said it doesn't happen. It won't happen in the resurrection. Similarly uh, to the situation among the angels of God in heaven. Now, this is uh, 
Christ's answer and it, it sort of knocks it flat and deals with it. It says you're, you're asking something that's totally irrelevant. So it, the, the, the conversation ends here uh, with, uh, with, with, with the question being no point. But it's interesting that what Jesus says is quite an insight to us. It's an insight to us about the state of marriage and uh, into the future. And it tells us something that a lot of people know, but they don't know. And that is that marriage is, according to God, for this life only. Now, that's something we say at the altar when we get married, till death us do part. But it's not something people often remember after a loved one's died. And some people, and I've had dear Christian friends, elderly people in churches I've pastored, who have been widowed or widowers for decades and lived in loneliness because they were worried that it would be wrong for them to marry someone else after their loved one had died. And they could have had company and peace and happiness of marriage. The Lord tells us there is no marriage in heaven. So you can get married again in the Lord if, uh, if you want to. But in heaven, we will be like the angels of God who don't get married in heaven. Now, some people may feel a little bit disappointed in this and uh, feel a little bit flat, especially if they have a very happy marriage and uh, they may be thinking to themselves, oh no, you know, I was sort of hoping it would be forever. You know, this is actually one of the things that Mormons do. Mormons have uh, what they call an eternal marriage covenant which is great if you're married to someone who you get on really well with over time. But if it goes bad, then uh, in their mind, you're stuck with that person for eternity, which is a problem. But let me just say this. One of the things Jesus has just said is that we don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Don't misunderstand the power of God to create something wonderful in heaven, which is even better than marriage on earth. We don't understand what heaven is like. We don't understand what life will be like in the resurrection yet. But the Lord, the Lord does. And he knows the needs of man. Think about Adam in the Garden of Eden. Adam was sinless. He had a relationship with God. God walked with him in the cool of the day. And Adam lived in a perfect world, just like we will be in heaven. And yet God said that he saw it wasn't good for man to be alone. And so he made a woman for him to have that special relationship with. Now, I believe there's a comparison with our situation in heaven. And I believe we will have special relationships in heaven. But it's not going to be like marriage on earth. It's not going to be like marriage on earth. Because we're going to be primarily married as the bride of Christ to Christ. And he's going to be our chief desire and satisfaction. But it it doesn't, I believe, rule out special relationships in the future. And one of the things I read in a commentary this week, which really comforted me uh, and, and made me think about this, it said, do you think in heaven we will have less than we have on earth? We're not. We're going to have more in heaven than we have on earth. So we don't need to worry about it. If we are happily married, just trust God for it 
Okay, that's a whole world we're going to come to one day in the future. But we just leave that with him. I know it's going to be good. I know I'm going to like it. I know you're going to like it too. So let's be at peace and rest in him. But that's the answer to their puzzle. And it gives us some teaching from the Lord Jesus at that time as well. But then, and by the way, I've got to point out here, it's interesting. He he did mention about they're like the angels of God. Remember, the Sadducees don't believe in the angels. So he was tackling them on that as well. Uh, Thirdly, he dealt with the reply or the response to their position. And if you go back to verse 23, you remember their position was they said there is no resurrection. They don't believe in a resurrection from the dead. They don't believe dead people will rise one day in the future. Uh, Now here, Christ answers them. And he does so from the scriptures to prove his point that they don't know the scriptures, but if they studied the word, they would have the answer. And he does it from the very portion which they accept. They don't accept the prophets, but they accept the law of Moses. So he goes to the law of Moses, and he goes to the book of Exodus. And verse 31, he says, But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you? And by the way, just put a little line around that. Spoken to you. That's a revelation to get. The whole Bible is spoken to you. It's God's word to you. That's something to take home, isn't it? You'll find that as a doctrine in the New Testament again and again and again. The Old Testament was written for our benefit. So he says, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living Now, this quotation which the Lord Jesus gives in verse 32 comes from the burning bush narrative where where Moses comes to the burning bush and God reveals himself when Moses says, who are you? And he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And the Lord Jesus is picking up on one little word. It's the word am. I am the God. He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham in the book of Genesis. I was the God of Isaac. I was the God of Jacob. But they're dead now. They're gone. He says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. Because they're still alive. They're still alive. Do you see the key? uh, How what Christ is doing. How how he finds the doctrine in the very word of God. And uh, he proves it. And they can't deny it. He says, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. What a wonderful answer that was to explain that from that very thing. And no wonder it says in verse 33, when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Now, similar to the phrase used at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where it says his teaching had authority. (laughs) It wasn't as the scribes, because they weren't debating. He was stating. He wasn't asking He was telling and he was revealing from the word of God the truth. But what I find here is uh, very, very helpful to think about because, like I said at the beginning, you know, many people think they can undo Christianity with a clever argument and a clever phrase. Atheists love to do this all the time. But what they don't understand is this. One day they're going to stand before the God who will answer their clever argument 
And as the book of Romans says, they will be left speechless before him. And all their hopes of rejecting Christianity because they've got this clever argument. Who made God? You know, you've been told that one. Who made God then? You know, and they think they've undone Christianity by that one question. Well, if you knew the Bible, God's eternal, so he doesn't have a maker. But, you know, they think they're going to undo Christianity. Well, one day they're going to stand before the God who will undermine their arguments and it will all fall apart in front of them. It's a real warning to unbelievers and atheists. I read a story about a, a, a man who was speaking for atheism at, at Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park in London. And uh, the atheist, to prove his point, challenged God. And he said, I challenge God to strike me dead in one minute from now. And he watched on his watch for 60 seconds. And then he said at the end, there you are, there is no God. And I know people who've tried that too. People who've argued with me that same line. But there was an old lady in that crowd and she went up to the man and she said, excuse me, she said, are you married? And he said, yes. He said, do you have a family? He said, yes. He said, she said to him, if your son challenged you to a fight to kill him, would you do it? And he said, no. And she said, neither will God do it to one of his children. You know, just a silly argument like that, but people think they've undone Christianity. Science disproves it all. What science? What do you know about proof? What do you mean by all? You know what? It falls apart once you start going to analyse these things. And these silly things people put their trust in. One of the ones that uh, was presented to me uh, by a child in, in one of our youth groups. Uh, his dad was a scientist at, at Bristol University. And uh, he, when we tried to tell the Bible stories, this, this little boy was very polite. But afterwards he would just say, I don't believe in God. And he said to me one day, he said, can God make a rock so heavy he can't lift it? And that was his argument. And he really thought he'd got a great one. Because if God could make a rock so heavy he can't lift it, well, he's not not God. And uh, if he can't make a rock, then he's not God. So they thought, that's it, proved it. And And that little boy, that scientist father, had told that boy that thing. And that boy therefore dismissed Everything we said in, 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 in the youth group. It was so sad. But you know what? That answer is not difficult to answer. First of all, it's unscientific. A rock that cannot be lifted. That's impossible in science, if you know about science. Archimedes told us that if you make a lever and a fulcrum long, uh, a lever long enough and a fulcrum, you can lift any weight. So it's unscientific to say there's such a weight that can't be lifted. It doesn't work out scientifically. It doesn't work out biblically because God would never do anything that contradicts his character. If you know the God of the Bible and if that's what you're arguing against, then uh, uh, you have to go with the rules of the Bible. And the third thing is it doesn't make sense atheistically either because what they think is it denies the existence of God. It doesn't deny the existence of God. It's a riddle on omnipotism. Whether God's omnipotent or not doesn't deny the existence of God, whether he exists and whether he's the judge. So, you know, these little questions people throw out, they think they're going to undo Christianity, but actually they fall flat on their face in the end. 
And whether or not they fall flat on their face in your lifetime, they will do in eternity. Job was aware of this. Job chapter 9 verse 3. When Job wanted an argument with God about what had been going on in his life, he had hesitations. He said, if one wished to contend with him, God, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. And that's the truth. And that's what the Sadducees found that day as well. Jesus was more than a match for them uh, when they came to him with his debate, with their debate. And I just would say this, if you haven't turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, come to the Lord now. Put your trust in him. You might be sitting here tonight saying, oh, but I've got so many questions. Don't worry, you're going to have questions, but they will get answered in time. If you're waiting to get all the answers first, you might wait too long. Billy Sunday, the old preacher, said there are men in hell because they wasted too much time in trying to find out where Cain got his wife. That's absolutely true. Don't delay. Come to Christ. He died on the cross for your sins and rose again. If you put your trust in him, you can have a place in heaven. And as you grow in the scriptures and learn more about the power of God, those questions will get answered and he will help you with them. May God bless these things to you tonight.